And welcome back to another edition of the Falcons Audible presented by AT&T. I'm Derek Rackley, joined by my guys, DJ Shockley and Dave Archer, as we talk Falcons each and every week following their most latest contest. And we'll get into the NFC South and the NFL as a whole. But thank you guys for joining us once again. And uh, just wanted to give you guys a quick highlight of what we got going on. Of course, we're going to try to put this loss uh, to the Detroit Lions into context as best as we can. I know the guys are chomping at the bit uh, to be able to chime in on that one. How about this? Falcons, should they have been ready for Detroit to let them score a touchdown as Todd Gurley's running through the hole? You can see the linebackers are like, they're going to try to tackle him, and then they, nope, you're just going to go ahead and got Todd Gurley tries to get down at the last second, but he's not able to do it. So should the coaching staff have known that was coming? How about Julio Jones having to bat down trade rumors this week? We'll get into whether or not that's a thing that he's going to have to deal with throughout the course of the remainder of this season. And then we're going to settle the debate, or we're going to do our best to do it anyway, about whether or not it was Brady or it was Belichick for the success in New England. Obviously, we know Tom Brady's down in Tampa now. He's having success with the Buccaneers and maybe not so much up in Foxborough. And then we're going to finally put on our Raheem Morris cap and we're going to think about how do you direct this team for the rest of the season after yet another just crushing loss at the end of the game? So let's dive right into it, Dave. I want to start with you because I know you've always got some passion for me. You're going to start us <laughs> off with a bang here. Have you ever seen anything like what is happening to the Atlanta Falcons? Look like they were in the driver's seat. Detroit uses all their timeouts. And by the way, there was a statistic that came out that in three games this season, Arch, the Falcons have had at some point a 96% chance or better of winning. Oh, that hurts. Rack. That hurts. Yeah, I don't want to hear that. Lost, Arch. Put this that into hurts. context as best you can, my man. Don't want to hear that, Rack. We're a we're a one and we're a four and three football team dressed up like a one and six football team. Halloween just around the corner, right? So we got our costumes on. We're a one and six team, but we're really a four and three team. I mean, I, it's hard to fathom. Uh, it's really difficult, I would think, to navigate mentally and emotionally as players knowing where you should be and where you really are. Uh, but, you know, as, as some wise man once said, I don't think it was Confucius said, you are what your record says you are. I don't think Confucius yeah. had much to say about that. But, uh, I don't think so either. Confucius <laughs> cared a lot about football. For but, sure. yeah, he was, he was a big football guy. I don't think he's a Dogs fan. He was not a Dogs fan, by the way. He was a Gophers fan, I believe. Anyway. Um, <laughs> Uh, this is this is one that I thought Raheem Morris, and we'll talk a lot about Raheem and what he needs to do, as you mentioned, Rack, here in a little bit. But I thought Raheem owned it, and I talked to him on Monday for the coaches' show. I thought he did a good job in his press conference after watching the tape. He realized he should have made Matt Neal down on the ball. Should not. So you got to take those elements. There's variables. There's enough variables in a game, right? Whether a guy's going to take care of the football, what decisions he's going to make, inside run, outside run, throw it, not throw it. Um, you got to take some of those decisions out of those players' hands. This was one that Raw had the ability to take out of the players' hands and have right because you did what you needed to do, right? You ate up Patricia's timeouts. It's exactly yep. what you needed to do. So now you're at the ten yard line, and if Young Way Koo kicks a twenty-seven yard extra a field goal or a twenty-two yard field goal, I don't think it makes much difference. So it's just one of those moments where I'm sure that the coaches are banging their heads on the wall saying, "Why didn't we?" Why didn't we just do the simple thing? And that was to just kneel down on the ball. 
You know, and, and DJ, let me interject here real quick before you go, because everybody's going to say that this is the, the head coach's decision. And I get that. Trust me, he's at the helm and he's the one that has the final decision. But you'd like to think that there would have been multiple conversations going on in the headsets from other assistants that maybe knew what was going to happen, have been in the situation before. Even Todd Gurley came out saying he knew exactly what was going to happen. But DJ... I mean, in that moment, the Falcons, they're going to turn, they're turn around and hand the ball off. They're thinking they're probably going to be met with some kind of resistance. But at that time, is it just they got to take a knee and just take a couple of knees and bring the field goal unit out? Yeah, I think obviously we look back on it. And uh, if you're in that position again, you want to take the knee. And that's probably, you know, like I said, Raheem just talked about that. I remember in 2005, my last year in college, we were playing Auburn. It was fourth and 15. They go down and they convert and they go all the way down. The ball pops out the end zone, but they end up recovering it. And they put the ball back on like the five or six yard line. And we had no timeouts and they had an opportunity to go in and score. They kneeled down, kicked a field goal. We had no timeouts and won the ball game. And this is a similar situation. And I guarantee you, even, you know, Gurley said it. We know exactly what the situation was. And I look back at that play. The first guy, he does. He does a, a really good job of just allowing Gurley to run through. He kind of arm tackles. The second guy, though, if you remember, he's tugging at that football. He's literally ripping away at it. And then once he figures, oh, I can't get it, he lets him go. And at that moment, it looks like Gurley is saying, okay, in my head, I know I got to get out, but this guy was tugging at the football. Let me make sure I keep the football. And as he rips away from the defender, his momentum takes him to the edge of that, that goal line. So – I think each guy knew coming in that, yeah, in that situation, we don't want to score. And you should have probably taken a knee. But at the end of the day, these guys are professionals. These guys are, are grown men. They understand the magnitude of that situation. And he probably looked at his players and said, I trust you in that moment. And it doesn't happen the way you want to. And obviously, we know the ending. It is just a tough situation to go back and, you know, Raheem to kind of second guess himself on his players on what he should have done. Yeah, and it's, you know, Todd Gurley mentioned after the game, he said that this has happened, what, four, five, six times in his career. And so individually, I think he suspected what was coming, but to actually get the ball and start going through the hole, and then all of a sudden he feels like there's some resistance, and then actually they just end up letting him go. He was just sick to his stomach. But, yeah, I mean, so they lose the game, and everybody wants to talk about the the way it was mismanaged at the end. But, DJ, I think we could all agree, and as former players, this is the things that's talked about in the meeting room. They say, if we would have made a few other plays throughout the course of the game, it doesn't even get down to this. So, DJ, I want to get your opinion. How about the fourth and five situation? where Atlanta decides to go for it instead of kicking the field goal. To me, that was another just a real easy time where they could have kicked the field goal, put three points on the board. And again, maybe it changes the complexion of the game and it doesn't even get down to whether or not Todd Gurley has to remember to fall to the ground. Yeah, those are the moments that you look back on in a ball game. You say, hey, here are four or five plays that could ultimately be the reason why you want to lose a ball game. And as we know, there are tons of uh, plays in a ball game that matter. There are tons of plays that you look back on film and say, oh, if I did this one thing correct or, I, you know, I made the right step going in a different direction, then, hey, we, we probably win this ball game. But here's a situation where I think we've seen over the past three, four years, this has always been an aggressive football team. This has always been an aggressive team on the offensive side of the ball. And they have continued to try to keep that mantra going. And we've seen at times where it has worked. And this was one of those 
uh, instance where it just did not happen for you. And you're right. If you go up and you put those points on the board, there's a little bit extra pressure on that team to go down and say, hey, we don't have to just worry about kicking a field goal, which they go back down and do and kick the field goal and they take the lead. But now you got to score touchdowns. And ultimately in a game like this where it was such a, a tough, gritty, back and forth ball games, touchdowns were huge in this game. So not being able to go down and get those points absolutely were a big pack. Big pack. Yeah, Dave, another one that kind of sticks out is, you know, Atlanta looks like they're driving again down the field, and then all of a sudden the strip sack happens. Detroit ends up taking the ball. They end up kicking a field goal on it. But in my opinion, like I was watching it as it seemed like Atlanta had momentum. And to me, that kind of turned into a 10-point turnaround. Like if, if, if they don't turn it over, Atlanta scores a touchdown. Now they got seven points, but instead it's a field goal for Detroit. So again, I know hindsight's always twenty twenty, but you're, that's another play to me that was a big turnaround point late in the game. Yeah, good look at the play too. It's a play where, to be all honest, all honesty, uh, Jake Matthews doesn't trust that the back is going to step to take the guy in the game. a linebacker that steps in the B gap, and that's Todd Gurley's guy. He's responsible for him in protection. So Jake's a little bit late getting out of his stance, and Flowers blows around the end. If Jake pass sets on Flowers, he's not going to get there. He'd done a pretty good job on Flowers most of the game. He pass sets on him, lets Gurley take the linebacker. Now Ryan's in the pocket and lets it go as he was trying to unload it. Flowers is not there in time to strip that ball out wherever he was trying to throw the football. Again, another one of those moments where just do your job. And, and, and it was just a slight hesitation with Matthews to get to the edge and that cost him, and Flowers is around the edge to not to strip the ball out. Yeah, so, you know, we – and, guys, I can just tell you, you know, spending my career in special teams, like whenever there was a missed kick, a missed field goal or extra point throughout my career that we didn't end up winning the game, yes, the, the field goal kicker is always criticized, right? But you could always go back and say there was three or four or five plays in the game that made a difference that maybe we didn't even have to get into that situation. So, yeah, we can sit here and second guess all we want. But like you mentioned, Dave, they, the Falcons lose the game. Um, and uh, so everybody feels like they have the answers uh, post game, but um, it's a lot different when you got the headset on, you're in the heat of the moment. Um, you know, one of the things that we discussed coming into this is the whole Julio Jones situation. And, and right after the game, he had to address some of the trade rumors. And DJ, is this just a function of the way the season is going for Atlanta, the high price guys are going to be in this conversation because the, the media, the posturing out there is just going to say, well, if Atlanta moves X, Y, and Z player, they can set themselves up for a better 2021. Do you think this stuff is going to continue for Julio this year? Uh, I don't think it continues. I, I think people understand what he even said, it, what he means to this football team. And going forward, I think whoever the coach is that ends up being on this – been a part of this team, I think wants Julio Jones a part of it. And I think Rich McKay, I think uh, Arthur Blank, they all know what Julio Jones means to this ball club and what he's meant for the last 10 years he's been here. Uh, Julio is a guy that regardless of what's happened in his career as far as injuries or him fighting through stuff has always been the, the consummate pro. He's always been the guy that you can depend on week in and week out. And when he's on the field, he makes that team better. And as, uh, you know, if you look around, the, the media looks at it as if you're going to blow this thing up, which the outside media says the Falcons need to do, which I don't agree with, they say those key cogs are the guys that you can get the most for. And that happens on any football team, uh, I believe, when you're in this situation. So I think it's just a product of what's happening 
and him being one of the star players on his team and what you could possibly get for a Julio Jones. But I think ultimately what he does for this organization and for this football team uh, speaks volumes for years to come. And whoever the coach may be uh, will absolutely want the number one receiver in the league on this football team. And Dave, this is, these are, these are the, the conversations that come up when you, you have a season where the team is struggling, a coach ends up getting dismissed, but how much of a distraction do you feel like this creates for a guy like Julio or a Matt Ryan, because there's been some discussions about whether or not they move him. Have you ever been in a situation like that? Or how do you feel like these guys navigate it? Because in, and I guess in the general public, obviously people are going to see these guys making so much money and they're not going to feel bad for them. Right. But how do you navigate this when you're trying to be a team mindset, but yet the media, the local media is kind of attacking individuals saying, are you going to be here next year? Does this person need to be moved? Well, it's an irritant, right, guys? It's an irritant that you have to answer those questions every every time you're in front of the media. You know, fortunately for Julio, uh, I think he meets with the media once a week, and then maybe uh, they make him uh, available after the game. Sometimes he's not available every game. So Julio is going to be able to be cushioned some or, or buffeted some from the media, where Ryan – Ryan talks to the media every Monday, talks to the media every Wednesday, talks to the media after every game. So that's going to be something that Matt's going to have to negotiate. I think he will have to deal with it. Remember, the trade deadline's at the end of the month. So once the trade deadline comes and goes, the trade conversation is going to be gone until after the season. So you will start answering questions about, okay, are you going to be here next year? That's definitely going to be part of the equation. Do you want to be here next year? I'll tell you guys on the on on the other side of it. This is a business, okay? This is a business. As much as you want to, we want to be, you know, wrap our arms around our guys, and and I would be the first guy to do that because I've had a chance to work with both these guys. They're the life of their career here, um, but it is a business. And Mr. Blank and, and Rich McKay said in the press conference that he would allow the GM and the coach that came here to make decisions on all personnel. Not there's a couple that are untouchable. All personnel, and so that in itself puts you in position from a player perspective that you're going to have to answer those questions because it was presented that way by the owner and by the president and CEO of the team. So that's something they're going to have to deal with the rest of the year and they'll have to continue to deal with in the offseason. Yeah, Dave, I think it's a great point you make because we can sit here and posture all we want, but the, the, the management has said that the new coach and general manager is going to have that decision. So it's up to this new guy and whatever vision that he has for this franchise, if he feels like Julio Jones can end up being a big part of it, Matt Ryan, a big part of it, then those guys will be around. I don't think that you can look at two guys that have got Hall of Fame potential written on them, just say they're automatically going to be gone. So it's a great point. Fans can sit here and talk about what they feel like needs to happen, but it's the new general manager it's the guy that's been around the football, been around building organizations and personnel that's going to make that final decision. So obviously a lot of that is to be determined. All right, before we move on to a guy that did move in Tom Brady, I want to just talk a little bit about Raheem Morris because we mentioned him earlier and there was some excitement last week because of the victory and then again, another just crushing setback. So Arch, let me start with you again. Like I need you to put your Raheem Morris cap on. Like if you're in his position, like, what is your message for the players for the rest of the season? How do you continually get these guys motivated after their third crushing loss this season with a lot of football left to play? Well, I think you go back to the old card that's been played through the years, uh, Rack, and that's do you want to be in this league? Because the NFL stands for not for long if you don't want to play. 31 other teams are watching the tape you put on, not just the Falcons on every Monday after their games. All the other teams are watching. 
they're going to determine what kind of competitive you are, what kind of situation you presented yourself. And a lot of times this endears, these types of situations endear a player to another, another roster, another team, or to your home team by the way you compete in adverse situations. This is a, doesn't get any more adverse than this, right? So what are you going to show? Really, to me, that's all Raw has to say. How much do you want to be a National Football League player? How much pride do you have in yourself? Because you put your signature. You and I, you all three of us were told every time you step on the field, you sign your name to every play that has a frame of you in it. You're signing your name. You're putting your signature on that. Your autograph's on that. That's who I am. That's all he needs to say in the meetings. Now let's get to work and let's go win a, a divisional football game. To me, that really is all Raheem has to say because Raheem knows he's doing the same thing as a coach and Dirk Cutter and everybody else is doing the same thing as well. Yeah, and, and DJ, it's it's like Dave kind of talked a little bit about what his message is going to be to the players, but I think that there's probably an element for Raheem as well that he needs to attack the rest of the season with just as much energy, if not even more, because the organization is going to play off of him. Coaching staff is going to play off of him. The players are going to play off of him. If he's kind of living this doom and gloom mindset, that's the performance they're going to get on the field. He's a younger head coach in the grand scheme of things as far as everything else in the NFL. Wouldn't you agree that that his energy level has to get even higher and just you, you got to have a short-term memory when you play the game of football, right, guys? Look, <laughs> Detroit's gone. You got to learn yeah. from it and move yeah. on. Yeah, and that's a that's an important point right there, right? I, I think we we speak so much about the players and rightfully so what they have to do. Uh uh, we also talk about the coaches not wanting to uproot themselves because they're going to give everything, but it starts with the head guy. And Art mentioned something earlier where he talked about it. He talked to him every single week. He has an opportunity to talk to him. He's in front of the media. And the way he goes about speaking, not just to Arch in that particular instance, he's speaking to the fans. He's speaking to Arthur Blank. He's speaking to everybody associated with his organization when he speaks in those press conferences. So the way he handles himself in those moments is speaking to his team and he's speaking to everybody who is a part of this organization looking forward. And there's other, you know, people around the league that are watching how he is handling this situation because ultimately at the end of the day, the players want to get another job, but we mentioned it earlier. He wants to get another job as well. How he handles these situations, I think is, is super important. And like you just mentioned, I mean, the way you go about it, the attitude, the effort, the preparation you put in every single day matters just as much. And, as a player, you say, how much are you willing to put on the line? As a coach, how much are you willing to put on the line as well? How far will you go to bat for your players, for this team, each and every week when things aren't going right? Are you willing to still stand up when everybody's asking you questions and, hey, this team's did it again. How do you respond and not going into that doom and gloom of, oh, yeah, we got to find a way. No, you got to find the energy and effort to say, hey, we got to find a way to turn this thing around. And your players listen to that and they feed off of it. Yeah, DJ, I think you make a great point. You said that he he's coaching for another job. And I bet you if you ask him right now, he's coaching for one job right now. He wants to remain the head coach of the Atlanta Falcons. So we'll see yep. if Raheem Morris ends up coaching his tail off the rest of the season and ends up earning the right to be the full-time head coach moving forward, starting with the 2021 season. All right, so let's take a step back. Let's talk a little bit about the division here, guys. Let's have a little bit of fun, all right? So we've obviously <laughs> seen Tom Brady and what he's been, what he meant to the New England Patriots franchise along with Bill Belichick. But those two have been separated now, okay? So that, that marriage... 
that love that they had in Foxborough is gone. All right, so now that we have seen that Tom Brady and the Buccaneers are starting to excel and we're seeing the New England Patriots coming back a little bit, Arch, I'm going to start with you. Can you answer the debate about whether or not the success had in New England was more about Brady or Belichick? Ready, set, go. Well, it's a balance, really, racket. I think that I'm going to point to the fact that if everybody thinks it's Brady because of what's going on in New England, in Tampa Bay, with Brady was the answer. Go back and look at those defenses Brady had when he was in New England. That was a defense that got after you. They they were able to create opportunities for him uh, to throw the football, to do some of the wild things they want to do throwing the ball because they didn't have to worry about it. Their defense was going to come in and and shut people down. So I, I think that when you look at Belichick and what he brought to the table as far as controlling the game from on the defensive side of the football, um, to me, that, that gets overlooked because Brady is now in Tampa, and we know that he's had big numbers the last couple of weeks. I think he had 370 and four touchdowns. Have you seen what their defense is doing? They've got 25 sacks and 12 takeaways. <laughs> In the first seven games, are you kidding me? Their <laughs> linebackers are unbelievable, and we'll have to talk about them here down the road. How do we block the linebackers? <laughs> Their defense is getting after it. That's providing Brady some opportunities. Brady played pitch and catch with the corners the first couple of weeks of the season for two pick sixes. I think it's overlooked dramatically what Bill Belichick's defense has provided Tom Brady and his ability to freewheel it on the offensive side of the football. There's no doubting Brady's ability and what he was able to do to bring the talent level around him up. But what about that defensive side of the football provided those opportunities? Hey, Arch, everybody talks about how brilliant Belichick is. I'd say how brilliant Brady is. He decides to go to Tampa. <laughs> right. He looked over at the other side of the ball, and he said, we got some studs that can stop people on the other side. Uh, I want to be a part of that. So, DJ, speaking of being a part of that, where do you fall in this conversation? Is it offense with Brady, or is it the mindset of Belichick and what he did defensively and for the entire team that contributed most to their success up in Foxborough? So taking into account the passionate, passionate <laughs> gift for Arch right there on <laughs> Belichick and what he's done in the defense, I'm going on the total opposite side. You look at Brady, he's 43. Now, yes, he's had the good defenses. Yes, he's in a good space in Tampa. Tell him, DJ. But the dude is still 43, and the dude is still playing at a high level. So we're going to give him 43. No, no, listen, I'm just saying, that's part of it. <laughs> what? He's done it for 20 years, Arch. No one cares he's 43. Nobody cares he's 43 years old. That's his fault. He got old. That's not his that's, that's not, not that's not Belichick's fault. That's he's 43. making it better. That's making it better because he's that age. Arch at 43. I haven't got the foot. At 43, do you still think you can go out there and throw for 280 and four tubs? I'm 43. No, I can't. <laughs> not happening. Right, not happening. <laughs> against against these defenses. The guy still has to process really quickly. He still has to get the ball out. He still has to play the game of football with the best players in all of the world. So the fact that he's still doing it at a high level, did it in, in New England, now has gone to a totally different place. At the beginning of the year, they were still trying to find themselves. No OTAs, no mini camps. He's thrown right into the fire. New head coach, new OC. And it took him a couple of weeks. All right, okay, yeah. threw a couple of pick sixes. That's going to happen. <laughs> guess what? They're clicking now because this dude is figuring it out. Blitzing. Yeah, that's a part of it. Blitzing. He ain't going nowhere. Blitzing. Belichick can play me. Blitzing. Give me those numbers on his completion percentage when he's under pressure. Uh, 
Oh, okay. I'll give him to no, you I... because you know I got him. It happened. You do. He's completing 29% of his passes when they're blitzing. Yeah, but. DJ, come on. Blitzing. You're killing your argument. Just say that your dog. No, 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 no. He asked for it, so I gave it to him. I'm an equal opportunity guy, Rack. I'm an equal opportunity. <laughs> he asked for it, so I'm going to give it to him. Maybe I shouldn't have told him that, but he knows it, so it's happening. Well, but listen. at the end of the day, the dude is still killing it right now. He's killing it. I, I, and, give, and, I give it to you. I, he gets up in the morning, and he's got a line of pills he has to take. It's about, <laughs> uh, about six inches long, Allegedly. Right? You know that for I, sure. I get that. And when he ta- after he takes his Geritol, he goes in, and he does a great job from the quarterback position. But let's. I, I think that we could kind of reside to the fact here, Rack, that Shock made a good argument. I think I made somewhat of an argument for Belichick that, you know what, they're pretty good together, but it turns out if you got defense and you're a quarterback, it, it tends to help you out a little bit. True. Yeah, I, I agree with you guys. And listen, I, I would have sided on the side of Brady here because I just feel like if you look back at his career. And Two weeks all in a guys, row, Arch. Two weeks in a row, Rack's on my side. <laughs> you guys always want me to settle the debate, so I'm bringing Yes, you got to. You're the I just maker. go back and I look at the guys that he had to work with in New England. I mean, he made Wes Welker, Julian Edelman. He made these guys stars. I played with one of the guys that he made a star in, Dion Branch. He got traded over to the Seattle Seahawks from New England. And Dion Branch was a talented player when he came in, but Tom Bradyman made an absolute superstar. They, he made, he brought, they brought Randy Moss in towards the end of his career, and some would say that he was a diva and hard to operate with. He was, he he was had 20 touchdowns. Awesome. He was awesome under Tom Brady because everybody goes into that organization and they say wait a minute I got a chance to catch balls from Tom Brady and we're going to go to a Super Bowl yeah I want to be a part of that right. um, so I just feel like the way that he always took average guys and he made them superstars and by the way he made them rich as well it had a lot to do with Brady but Arch I'm going to tell you it's a team game if they don't have defense if they don't have Steven Goskowski as a kicker on special teams they're probably nowhere near as good as they were in their heyday so um, there you go. Tell us what your side of the story dude, is. Dude's got 18 touchdowns, man. Come on, man. Huh? We can't come up. Ed Gronkowski, Ed Randy Moss. I mean, that's he not his like fault. He to anybody. That's not his fault. <laughs> He's not the general years old. He inside. We're going to give him the nod. <laughs> Belichick 60. Does he get a nod for that? Oh, I mean, come man. On. I just love Belichick ain't got a plate. Everybody's going to be talking about how Arch said that, that Brady <laughs> takes Geritol and he's got a line of pills. He puts on different types of underpants. Never mind. He's got his own performance you center, man. That. I didn't say that. <laughs> Here's what I will tell you is that when you got money like Tom Brady, you can get the best treatment that there is in this world no, no. every week to keep your body performing at 43 years old, which I don't have those resources, not whatsoever. It's hard enough for me to get one massage a month, nonetheless, <laughs> one every day. <laughs> He's talking about he's got TB12. He's got his own operation. He owns his own rehab place. Yeah, so, he's got, he got no, he's, Under Armour on speed dial. He's played great. They've played really well. Tampa has kind of held up to the expectation so far, right? The big expectation with him going down there. And now you got Antonio Brown coming into the mix. How do they, how do they sprinkle that in? That's right. going to be interesting. Right. So uh, as I mentioned, tell us what your thoughts are. Where do you fall in on the side of this one? Is it Belichick? Is it Brady? Or are you going to straddle the fence and say it's a little bit of both? Some, just take a stand. Take a stand. All right, guys, that's about the uh, the time that we got. Of course, short week for the Atlanta Falcons. They got a little Thursday night action against Carolina. Of course, she came up short against them earlier this season. But we'll get a chance to revenge that on a short week here. Um, in around the division, Saints, they got to go to the 5-1 and one Bears this week. And... 
the aforementioned Tom Brady and the Bucks. They get the uh, <clears throat> one in six Giants. Arch, that number is <laughs> going to continue to to uh, increase. They're uh, likely going to go by a six and two. By the way, Arch, the Bucks. But it's yeah, all about I, Belichick. I, I, like it. I like their chances. No question. <laughs> no question. No. The team, the division's playing well. The, the three teams in front of Atlanta are playing well. We get one of them on on Thursday night and get ready. You may get Christian McCaffrey this weekend. We had not seen Christian McCaffrey in the first game against uh, Carolina. Christian McCaffrey, arguably the best three down back in the National Football League. He's going to be back on the field after that high ankle sprain. He's been problems for Atlanta in the past. Going to have to get ready to, to, to crack that nut. Yeah, that's going to be a, definitely a challenge. But I think the good news for the Falcons, he's been a problem for 31 <laughs> other teams in the National Football League since he Swiss Army knife right there. All right, fellas, uh, let's let's wrap it up here. Um, always enjoy being here with you and ch- chatting a little bit and la- laughing and talking and having some fun. Uh, because hey, at the end of the day, you got to find a way to have some fun. Because 2020 has been kind of one of these years. Find your own positivity, and that's we why find you a way crack to crack that nut, Rack. Got to crack it. Do. You got to continue to fight it, baby. Continue to fight it. (laughs) All right. That's going to wrap us up here on another Falcons Audible presented by AT&T. But uh, Birdie tells me we're going to be back sooner than later because of the Thursday night game coming up. So be on the lookout for us three guys going at it once again. Thanks so much for joining us, folks. We'll be back once again to talk a little Falcons and the NFC South and the NFL right here on the Falcons Audible presented by AT&T. Take care, everyone. Have a great day. You're listening to Falcons Audible, presented by AT&T.